All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two of the Bow Legged Loot episode of Westlove Supreme. Um, you know, we talked about his, his beginnings with singing with his brothers, growing up in New York, and of course, getting with Curtis Blow, uh, making classics with UTFO, uh, The Real Roxanne, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. We even give a little shout out to Tony Marsh in this episode. Um, not to mention Show Pepsi Riley. Um, working with James Brown, making movies with Kid and Play. Uh, of course, we're going to get into their work also with Sync and Backstreet Boys. You know, so much work, so much genius. This is part two of the Bow Lake and Lou episode of Quest Love Supreme. Enjoy. Lou, tell me your best James Brown story. Man, let's go. Because I feel <laughs> like there's gonna be, I feel like there's gonna be five of them. Man, Quest, there's so many. Okay, I know. Of course, I'm not gonna tell. I'm gonna tell all of them, but man, I need some. I need a few. Man, but you haven't repeated yet, <laughs> or at least on on some. You know, some. I'll man. be honest with you, Laia. What I actually avoided hearing that. Like I was waiting for this moment to happen, this interview with him, that I actually muted. I don't know any... St- I purposely wanted to hear it the first okay. time okay. when I had my first platform to interview him. I get that. You want to be an untainted Lou interview. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, tell us the story, Lou. What you got? Only because that uh, that clip that people watch where James is kind of off the hook and loopy, you know, with the glasses and he's interviewing the, the lady. I... I would like to think that that was uh, taking a break from the I'm real video set because he's dressed the same way as he is in the mm-hmm. video. So I'm assuming <laughs> that whatever he was on during that interview was also Not happening. So go ahead, Lou, uncle Lou, please tell us one James Brown story. So, that won't get because, you in trouble. 
because we loved, and I'm I'm good friends with his daughter, Deanna. Oh Brady. God! Oh God! But, okay. But, but I'm but I'm going to speak. But I got to speak. You got to um, clean clean it up, then. Sorry. No, no, no. So here's the deal with Mr. Brown. That's all we ever called him. Right. When we when we got the when we got the uh, the call to do an entire James Brown album from Johnny Musso, who was the executive of Scotty Brothers at the time, where Mr. Brown recorded uh, "Living in America." Uh-huh. And then when we got that call that, you know, Mr. Brown, James Brown would love you guys, you know, to 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 do a whole album with James Brown. That's the call we got. We were blown away. And the first thing we started hearing was that, oh, man, when y'all work with James Brown, man, it's going to be he's a taskmaster, man. And he's mean. We hear all these stories. So I said, before we go in the studio with him, let me call somebody that, that worked with him just so I could be ready about for anything. So I called Dan Hartman. Well, I didn't know, but I got his number because he did the Living in America and he worked mm, on a bunch yeah. of stuff. And he did Gravity. Brown. And he yeah. did Gravity. And he had right. his own hits. We Light My Fire and Instant, Instant Replay. Replay. Yeah. So I get on the phone with him, introduce myself, and I said, yeah, man, we're about to work on a James Brown album. This is Bo Legaloo for Full Force. And, you know, can you, you know, we hear rumors and, this, and you know, we, we, we love James Brown. So he said, all right, well, the first thing, you don't call him James. You call him Mr. Brown, first and foremost. That's all you ever call him, Mr. Brown. I'm like, okay, okay. Now, he's kind of particular in the studio. So what happens that the first day that Mr. Brown, we had songs ready and everything like that. So the first day that he came, that he was coming, we sent Paul. Because nobody puts us in awe, but Mr. Brown put us in a little awe. But we sent gotcha. Paul to go get him. Paul, you're the welcome committee for, for Mr. Brown. And Paul went to get him and greet him at the elevator. And he was, Mr. Brown was wearing like a, a, a handkerchief around his neck, a, ah! a, 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 some type of cra- like a crazy hat. He had like real shades on, like red shades. Uh, oh, wow. Some bootsy, bootsy collar shades. And he had some heels on. And um, he was just a legend, just legendary. Mm-hmm. And he came walking in the studio. Paul said, hey, how you doing, Mr. Brown? Just come in and meet the rest of the guys. And he came in there, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Now, I love y'all. I love y'all like y'all my sons, okay? I just want to know that we're going to have a good session. We're going to work together. We're going to eat this. And we're going to do that. And then we'll do that. We're going to do that. Thank you, Mr. Brown. We didn't understand what he said, but thank you, Mr. Brown. Thank you, Mr. Brown. And so we're going to we're going to. Now, the time, and you're right, Quest, the time we was working with Mr. Brown, he was in trouble with the law, in and out. You know, sometimes we didn't have a session because he was, you know, like in jail and he let out. And he was just going through stuff, going through so much stuff that sometimes it affected, like, him in the session. And we would just be working with him and we would start wondering, you know, is it Mr. Brown because he's old? Is that's why some of the, the, the odd things? But... Just a lot of crazy, like like Reverend Al Sharpton used to come to the studio a lot, and okay. and whenever he would come, we're like, oh lord, because Mr. Brown stopped for him for everything, His no matter son. what song he was doing. All right, Reverend's here, and and Reverend would come unannounced. He never like scheduled or nothing like that. And Mr. <laughs> Brown would go talk to him. I remember Mr. Brown was wearing some red shades, and 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 Reverend Sharpton says, Mr. Brown, because he called him Mr. Brown also. Mr. Brown, how you doing? How's everything? Reverend, I'm wearing red shades. But I'm seeing blue, you know, because he's going, 
I'm telling you, one time, one time he, uh, we were taking pictures and all the photographers were taking pictures of us and Mr. Brown in the studio, taking pictures, snap, 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 snap. Then all of a sudden, all right, that's enough pictures. So stop the pictures. Then out of nowhere, Mr. Brown goes into a damn split, a hard split, Ooh. so hard that you can hear the floor go boom. And he just <laughs> rose up. He did it out of nowhere. And then the photographer's like, well, let's not do that again. Do that again. Do that again. He said, nope. You should have took the picture when I did it. Then he just walked <laughs> off. And he walked off. It was a lot of, it was a lot of crazy. One time he was in the studio. Holy and he shit. was holding onto the door. And the door was open, right? But he's pushing, he's pushing the door one way. And he's pushing it. And he's pushing the door another way. But the door's just standing by itself. This is a studio door. And right. we're going, we're going, Mr. Brown, what is everything okay? No, I'm just showing y'all how I'm opening and closing the door at the same time. Oh, okay. Okay, Mr. Brown. I got it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so lost. <laughs> it was some of those moments, but we know he was going through stuff. We never took we never told it in public a lot of things, but um. You know, it was crazy. I remember, I remember when we wanted to use Maceo on the album, and I said, yeah, we're going to fly Maceo in to do a couple of songs. And he told us, well, when Maceo comes, I want to make sure that I'm not here when y'all are working with him. I don't mind him mm. being on the album, but I don't want to be here. Wow. Really? So we, yeah, yeah. So I, I never That's knew right. that he's on a He's on <laughs> Keep Keeping, I think. He's on and Keep he, Keeping. y'all lock on... him in the studio while he's still... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep keeping. She looks all types of good, and then the, the ballad, you know. Right. But, Wait um, a minute. Okay. Well, well, one, it's not lost on me. The 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 meta the meta levels of irony. I'm real. <laughs> yes, of just... I'm real, which is the fact that mm. he is singing out against the very thing that's, that's keeping him bringing alive. him back. Yo, this is a moment, Amir. You are repeating your clip on Unsung. I'm just saying. I am? Is, yes, this is exactly oh. what your reaction. But I, I, I love it. It's okay. Live well, place. I never got an answer to it. Yeah. So it's how, I mean, what did you guys explain to him that, that no, you should, you should embrace this more? Because, you know, George Clinton famously was like, hey, I'll even lower my rates so you guys can use more of me. Right. And said his legend, but I mean, what did he, what did he think of when he first heard these tracks? Like, did he even comprehend that he's singing over Bobby Bird's "Hot Pants I'm Coming" drums? Or right, well, I don't think he really comprehended that much because he was actually he was actually getting paid for it. He his only thing was <laughs> I don't I don't I don't got nothing against these rappers, but man, I just. I just wish I would get paid because they're using my voices and record and this and that and this and that. And that's when we came up with the song, I'm Real. So it's like what people's taking from him, we're like throwing it right back to him in his own songs that we're producing with him. You know, mm -hmm. his main thing was he just felt disrespected that he hears so much. And he loved the rappers because remember, he worked with African Bambada, but he was right. still, mm -hmm. he was still upset that he wasn't getting paid for it. And at that time, the sample laws right. was not even in full effect yet. Right. I think our record kind of helped it 
because he was literally on there on this video. All oh, you copycats out there, get off of my mm. tip. Because I'm James, I'm Brown. James Better Brown. Take your voice off my records yeah. till I'm paid in full. You know, he was he was making a statement there. And I remember I remember after that, that, that the Sonic came out with something about, you know, James Brown. Eric B and I got sold. And that's true, but he wasn't getting paid. That was right. his music, right. his vocals. Right. And I think after I'm real, then they started to get the sample laws together, not only for Mr. Brown, but for every every other legend. I was you know gonna I mean? ask, did he did he live to see the residuals of his the samples? Did he, I don't know if oh, I remember that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause we did that yeah. album in eighty did it in eighty eight. Eighty eight, so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, they were yeah, going to yeah, the okay. state trying to get permission and paying for him to use James Brown samples. No rapper could do that like what they did in the past, just blatantly. Right. Take it now. When we were taking his stuff, we was doing it with him. You know what I mean? Right. So it's definitely a difference, and he accepted that because, like, well, at least I'm here with y'all, and we're doing it together. And he got publishing for, for all the songs right. we did with him. So I would assume that when you guys are doing uh, "I'm Real" the album, this was pre Pearl Tools. Yes. So <laughs> from a one to ten, how? I won't use the word nightmarish, but how uh, much of a task is it cutting his vocals and cutting this? All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're 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 not looking at Lou's face right now <laughs> as, I, as I ask this question. But the way that he closed his eyes already gave me the answer I wanted. How much of how much of a task was it in? Whatever was their copy paste culture back? How did you get his vocals to? Because it felt natural, but for me, I I felt that every line I was listening to was either perfectly placed or just a lot of cut cut paste jobs there. Okay. From one to ten, how you only have to give the story. From one to ten, how hard was it in placing his vocals and giving a complete song? Damn, Quest. That was a good question, but, um, the way he did that. That was nice, the way you did that. That was nice. I'm giving Quest you an out. All you have to do is give me a number. A number no, one to ten. But, Quest, you're so... You're so, um, you're so interest, you're so introspective with it, and it's like, was you at the studio with us? I'm your dude. You think I'm lying at the intro of this show. I am a product... When you're like, damn, when when on your last day on earth, you're like, damn, what was my legacy? Me. Aww. Me. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's wow. real. When you when you know something, Quest, like I said, when we was working with Mr. Brown, this was the time when I know you know, he was going through things. So so in the beginning, I would say the first session and the first song we did was a song called Time to Get Busy. And he was perfect on that one. Perfect. But as the days, as the as each song, it became a little harder because he was still going through his own personal stuff. So right. what we did, man, so what we did is that with Mr. Brown, Time to Get Busy, I would say, was like the kind of the only song that he did from start to finish. And he kind of knew everything. But then as after we was going, it was getting a little harder and he was going through stuff and we would have the lyrics and at one time he asked us, uh, do y'all got any cue cards? You know, cue cards. And we're like, cue cards. Oh, wow. But so so what we did 
and not on every song, but just some songs, we would actually physically be there with him. Like me, I would be there with Mr. Brown and then Paul, because me and Paul spearheaded mostly the, the writing of the lyrics and, song, and working with him actually in the studio. So when I did I'm Real, my song, I'm there with Mr. Brown in the booth with him physically. Mm-hmm. And we would go line by line, basically. Dog, yo, Christian McBride, if you are listening to this podcast, we were so right. We called it. We literally said, I bet you every line had to be cut and paste because it was too perfect. And I've never heard him sing structured lyrics before because a lot of the stuff was freestyle and, and that. And I just never really heard him sing that structured before. And I try to imagine like, well, is, is the lyric sheets on the on the nightstand? Is he, yo, uh, I've you know, been dying to know that answer for 30 years, man. I was about to say, was this a conversation with you and Christian in high school? or I'm talking to Christian McBride right now as he's telling oh, the story. Okay. He's in my arms. I'm like, yo. <laughs> like me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, so then I got to ask, how did he, how did he manage so, okay, so this is another thing about me. More than being a James Brown fan, I'm the biggest horrible James Brown song fan. Like I'm <laughs> I I have I have an addiction to like every album past like Mother's Nature to even the record he did with Leaders of the New School. Like everything in what? between that exists. So, so yeah, can't get it any harder. <laughs> he he wow. tried to he tried he tried to do static part two when he was in the new school, mm, but it was with CNC eat. Music Factory. No, no. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. So the thing is, how did it's your money wind up on that record? Because I'd sometimes do a horrible James Brown set where it's just the songs that, and that's the thing. the The greatest thing about James Brown to me is that. He was never mediocre. Like a lot of the artists that we have disdain for, it's usually because they're just mediocre. It's just but some middle of the road shit. Yeah, but if they yeah. make classic shit, if they make horrible shit, at least it's interesting. Yeah. And I yeah. always wanted to know. Sure. I knew y'all had nothing to do with It's Your Money. I Obviously, right. he was a placeholder. But how did that wind up on the record? He just insisted? Or you just he, need it? No, here's the deal. He, he, he literally... Asked the record company, and the record company said, ask full force. And what are we going to wow. do? And he, and he played it for us and everything. Oh, no. James Brown, listen. You play, he played Brown, it for y'all? He played it for us. And y'all faked it like y'all like it, doing the demo head thing? Oh, <laughs> the demo head. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, whenever, I never, I like yeah. playing songs. My mother is all silent, looking to the floor and shaking their head. <laughs> that I'm shit like, ain't uh, here. You ain't got any hit. That that's my double that's my double trouble story, Fonte, for the first time I played that shit. Dilla right. premiere, all them guys are like, they're like, they go, I was mother. like, oh, this song sucks. So then <laughs> oh man. With Mr. Brown, we I mean, how are we gonna say no? I mean, he wanted it on there, he asked, he said, Man, I love it that this could be on here, blah blah blah. And it was the last song on the album, I think. But yes. you know, we we said it's Mr. I mean, what you 
Come on, Quest, you wouldn't even have said no to Mr. Brown. I doubt right, it. Right. And, and after the first time you met him and he came to you and said, <laughs> I would love if this could be on the album. Do you mind? What are you going to say, Quest? Right? Seriously. No, nah, for real. Say That's yes. real. You ain't saying yeah. no to Al Green. Wait, shut up, Laia. Shut up. Wait, wait, This wait. is very true. Wait, wait. I was going to say, Fonte. Standing in the rain. <laughs> nigga, nigga. I already know, bro. Nigga. I already know. Nigga. <laughs> I already know. Yo, <laughs> it, was, it was the day after the album got mastered. And I heard this song. I had a rich like, yo, where the fuck this come from? And... He, <laughs> He's like, you know, Al insisted to go on the record. Like, so he did it with the dad time, There was a Quest Love album with Al Green called Babies Making Babies. No, no, that baby no, making babies. Lay it down. Lay it down. Sorry, 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 sorry. The, the same thing happened to me, uh, Lou, where with Al Green, I made, I pulled a full force, got <laughs> Al Green back to his Willie Mitchell thing, and the last song, he just, you know, like, my manager, Rich, at the time told me, he's like, well, the way I see it, you know, at least he did a song that could fit on the end of a Tyler Perry movie as the credits go up. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's Come like, on, it man. won't be a total loss. Either people will just ignore it, or at best, it'll go on the, 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 the Tyler Perry credits for the end of the family reunion movie. Oh, my God. You can't uh, say no to Al Green, no matter what. Wow. That that is crazy, Lou. Do you know what happened or uh, what the status is of the real Roxanne? Like, what is she yes, doing now? Where's she at? Where's she at? Yes. Well, she's she's and she's still beautiful as ever. So it's two. There's two real Roxanne. The first, you know, after the whole all the, I said, I said, B, let's do a song called the Real Roxanne. So me and B wrote the lyrics. We got this light skinned girl by the name of Elise Jack, and she did, she's the one you hear on the record. But then things didn't work out with her contractor or whatever. So we got a Puerto Rican girl, the, the fine and beautiful. Not that Elise Jack is not fine and beautiful. She was a light-skinned girl. But but she did the record. Yo, you got one more light skin for you looking. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> I'm just right. one she more light But then we got Joanne Martinez to actually be the real Roxanne. She was the one in the video with UTFO, Roxanne, Roxanne. And then she had records of her own, like Bang Zoom, Let's Go Go. With Bang Zoom, Let's Go Go. Yeah, in England and UK, and she has. Did y'all ever do anything with, with Howie T, man? I was speaking about that record. Did you and Howie T have any dealings with each other? Yeah, we worked with Howie because Howie was part of the Real Rock Stand with Hitman Howie T. Howie mm -hmm. T co-wrote "Alice, I Want You Just for Me" with us. He's the one that came, ah, okay. He's the one that came up with the drum beat, the dope drum beat, and everything like that. Jerry and everybody else could, did the whole track, but Howie came up with the drum beat. And back in the day, because it was 1985, we didn't know any better, but I would have to say, looking at it, the way it trans transacted, he should have been a co-producer with us on that record, too. Mm -hmm. He was a co-writer, but it should have said produced by Full Force and Hitman Howie T. Because mm -hmm. um, he's the one that came up with the dope drum loop and everything like that. And then that song with the syncopation in it and with the music and the, the jazz kind of sound loops. You know, it was definitely like a. some people call that the first New Jack Swing record. But we oh, don't maybe let's go go. Yeah, yeah, no, um, no, um, Alice, I want you just Alice. for me. Mm -hmm. And then we in, oh. we incorporated some of that with Bang Zoom, Let's Go Go with the real Roxanne. But the real Roxanne, Joanne Martinez, she is she's doing she's doing great, man, and she's still looking beautiful, man. I send you a picture of her. She's she's dope. She's still doing her thing, you know. Wait, that's what's up, man. Okay, okay. We just recently 
discovered the sample that came from it. All right, so here's the deal. With, with Baby Let's Go Go, I thought it was downright genius. I'm like, yo, are they playing, uh, um, what do you call it when, when you do a bass? Uh, uh, Jaco Pistorius does it. Uh, um, like triads, not triads, but uh, fretless. Uh, no, no, yeah, yeah, but it's it's the sound of 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 Portrait of Tracy, like when you're uh-huh. right, it's, right. Uh, try not harmonics, not pizzicato. Yeah, yeah. When you're playing harmonics on bass, and at the time I thought, yo, this is some downright. I'd never heard a song just utilize bass harmonics before in this level, and then it maybe like last year, year before, I discovered the the uh Pat Metheny record from which it came from. Who put that track together? B Fine put that track together. And what B-Fine- the hell was he doing listening to that? Because <laughs> out of Pat Metheny's discography, that album is so weird that Pat Metheny's two biggest samples in hip hop are off of records that are like it's it's almost like it would be the chitlins of his career, and you know I'm not I know I know opinions are subjective to like what people gravitate towards, but even jazz fans like have a a, a bracket for the Pat uh, Pat Metheny records they listen to, and along with Karis One sampling "Spring's Not Here Yet" for "Love's Going to Get You," that particular song that you guys did, it was like it was on an album that nobody would touch of 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 his and. I always wanted, when we discovered that sample, it was like me and a whole bunch of producers. We're at Jazzy Jeff's house and we hear it and we wanted to punch a hole in the wall because we never once thought there was anything dope on that record. What in the hell was he doing with that, with that, with that album that called him? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, well, all of us, like B, Jerry, you know, the music, we, tapped into all kinds of music. That's why with Full Force, there's six different heads. Mm-hmm. And when he came up with that, I'm like, hey, this is dope. I remember you texted me about that. Yo, I found the sample y'all used. I'm like, yeah, very obscure. Because we would always look for a lot of obscure shit, even from popular, popular musicians too, you know what I mean? And just use it, you know what I mean? And in that particular song, I mean, be through the kitchen sink in there. We even had Bugs Bunny in there and Right, the rabbit kicked the bucket. <laughs> we, we, we threw Alice in there. Girl, I want to right. go to the moon. Oh, we did everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, man, we just we just come up with different shit. And B came up with that, and we're like, yo, that's that's crazy. And it was top ten joint, man. Especially in the UK, it was such a smash. Like we didn't know it was gonna be that big, you know. And Joanne right. would go and perform, and plus she was great. You know, I would have to say the real Roxanne, Joanne Martinez had to be one of the first female rappers to kind of introduce femininity to the female rap game. Because everybody, like Salt and Pepper at the time, even Shantae, they were wearing the big dookie chains and all of that stuff, like how the dudes were. But yeah. uh, she came in all feminine and just killed it, you know? And she was Hispanic. Yeah. All right, you look... <laughs> Who is like she? She's light skinned and she's Hispanic. Okay, (laughs) indeed she is. (laughs) Yo, what's up? This is Fonte Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. 
Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. So I, I, I got to keep on pushing because there's too many. Yeah, we got to get to the pop it, shit. We ain't well, even got it. Can, we, can I just well, wait, ask? I got to get to LaToya. I got to get to LaToya. Wait, did Can I just ask one thanks for my child question? Well, first of all, did you name Cheryl? Did you? How did she get her moniker Pepsi? We gave her a nickname. <laughs> Yeah, and she's dark and she's dark skin, by the way. Okay, I, 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 so. thank, listen, she's your point on the board. That's the only one you got so far. But yes, that's uh. <laughs> no, we had ex girlfriend. They had some dark skin. Yeah, they did. They kid. did. You're right. You mixed it up. You funked it up. No, well, what happened with what happened with Cheryl when we got Cheryl? Because, like I tell you, me and Cheryl, we were friends before anything. We used to do church plays together before there was a Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. We used to do plays and stuff like that and everything. And the first time I heard her sing, I'm like, man, she just blew me away. So once we know we was going to get her a deal with us over Columbia Records, then came the name. I said, now, listen, we're going to have to name you a nickname because all of our acts, we got crazy names. So we got to find a nickname for you. And I said, here's the nickname we're going to give you, Magnolia. And she said, huh? I said, yep. Cheryl Magnolia Riley. Really? And I said, no, 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 we're kidding, we're kidding. Because you have a bubbly (laughs) personality, which she did. We decided to call her Pepsi. Now, that idea was from our, our um, Steve Salem. May he rest in peace. He just, you know, we just saw Pepsi can there. And he's saying, well, Lou, you always saying she's got a bubbly personality. Why don't we throw in Pepsi and put two eyes at the end? 
Call us Cheryl Pepsi Riley. And I said, perfect. That goes along with Bole Galoosh, Shy Shy, the Educated Rapper, Lisa Lisa. This is, so this is funny because these are long we, nicknames. Yeah, we're keeping the names crazy, you know? Yeah. So, um, so they know at any point, did anyone actually approach the Pepsi company to... We, when we tried at the time, but Pepsi wasn't like, Hariga didn't take off right away, but we tried at the time and it just never happened, you know, back then. But um, I see. Mm. You know, but we got a number one record out of it. Thanks for my child, which Pepsi killed, of course. Oh, my God. And, um, I told and, Lou, you know, I cried on the phone with Lou the other day when I really realized that, that he was responsible for that song. Because being a 12-year-old at night listening to my Pink Casio, oh. I was like, no. And it's funny because I was like, I had a whole relationship <laughs> with that song. And I had no, why are you laughing? What you, what you Wait, because I thought you were about to tell me being a 12-year-old single mother. I thought... Oh. <laughs> oh God! Well, no, no. Th- we stopped that before that. Yeah, well, yeah. So mm, that's a whole wow. other story. However, listen to that song and know as a grown up, it's like I don't know what, why I had such an affinity for that song and played it on. Yeah, I didn't all realize like when I was a kid, I didn't, I had no idea what that song was about. I just, yeah, I mean, it was on and but you it sang along, like right, Ponte? Did you? Yeah, sing yeah. Along? I would yeah. sing my mom. I'd be riding my mom and she was singing. But I'm like, what Thanks the fuck? So but and then it's ill to hear your Pettiest version. baby mama song ever. <laughs> well, she says it nicely. She said, I mean, she yeah, says it was it passive nicely. aggressive. <laughs> Which is, Yo, what? did you see the video? Forrest yes. Whitaker, yes. Forrest Whitaker, Forrest Whitaker did the video, and you know you'd see the the man running in slow motion in the red like, shirt. That dude, that dude wanted to get the hell out of there. He wanted to leave, <laughs> leave. It's crazy. But that's, but that song, that song was a special song because I, I actually wrote that song. But like I said, everything is written and produced by Full Force, six of us, but we split everything six ways in the credits as well. But when I wrote that song, I wrote it because I saw, it was three things. When my, I was coming off the road, my wife at the time, when I was married, she had a miscarriage and man, I was just coming off the road and I went straight to the hospital after hearing it. And there she was. She looked like, you know, she'd been through World War Three. But then the following year, we, you know, we tried again and then we had a beautiful baby girl. And at the same time, I had a friend of mine, a female who had a baby and then her the baby's father just kind of ran left away vanished, just left and vanished. She was so heartbroken of that. And then I used to see Cheryl Pepsi. I used to see Cheryl taking care of handicapped kids because she was a nurse when I, at the time, and she was like a mother to all of them. So that's when I came up and I wrote Thanks for My Child from scratch. And then I went to baby Jerry and Jerry did the uh, the track to it. And I'll never forget playing it for the guys. And when it came to that chorus, thanks for my child. I remember my brother b just dropped his head down and he went, oh, like he almost got shot. That yeah. was like such emotion. I remember Mixmaster Ice from UTFO said, yo, Lou, man, you made me put some more money to my, my baby's uh, fund. <laughs> On the book. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and to hear that a man wrote that, and it sound, it's such a perspective of something that a woman would want to say and articulate. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, fast, it's fascinating, Lou. So I just, yeah. I, I appreciate you for that. All right, Lou. Yo, dog, you... You and you you took on the challenge. You tried it. You took on the challenge in 1988. And this is definitely during the uh, what was her husband's name of the Jack Gordon. You 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 took on Latoya Jackson <laughs> as a client. 
of which, you know, <laughs> at the time, this is when Michael is making his comeback. This is when her, <laughs> her, her youngest sister, Janet, is, you know, making incredible moves with, with her record. Can you speak on the experience that it was producing uh, Latoya Jackson's, I think at the time that was her third, yeah, that was her third album. What what was that experience like? All right. Well, we we or rarely... should I say from one to ten? How... Right, right. <laughs> this is another one to ten question. <laughs> we really, we really, it always have to be interviewers like you to bring that up. We really bring that up whenever we're speaking in interviews. But I gotta say, she was a sweetheart to work with. I know, but but yeah, it had its challenges there. And Jack Gordon was present like every time. Oh, she's just she's much better. She's much talented than Janet. You know, she's much talented than Aww. Janet. She's definitely better than that. She can sing better too, and she can dance better too. You know, David. That's what Jack Gordon used to tell us all the time, like all the time. And um, but we we worked with her. I I didn't think the first single was a good way to go. Called "You're Going to Get Rocked" and oh, the biker thing. Her, yeah, kind of had her out of her element. You know, pull up your sleeves because Latoya's thrown down. I don't know, but that was B's idea. I got to give credit to B. In fact. That I would say that's the only song that Four Four didn't produce. That was produced solely by B Fine and written by him. No, I'm just kidding. That was Four Four. But I told him I don't want no parts of that shit. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. There's, there's all your trademarks are in that song. There's break beats. There's <laughs> no, that's just a joke. But it was okay. Um, there was a couple of singles like a song called You Blue. I thought should have been the first release because Paul is singing underneath her on every line and you hear him singing with her but um you know it was it was an e for effort and you know she's a sweetheart and um you know i've got nothing bad to say about her she's cool but it had its challenges you know what i mean especially man we did this ballad called um i'm not giving up on love and um you know y'all tried it but i, I it, purchased it, it i purchased it because you know yeah. I, that, was a hard, that was a hard one to do. The ballad was really, that was really hard. You're talking about cut and paste. That was like another James Brown, but she wasn't James Brown. And um, oh. but, it was, but it was kind of hard to do that one. But some of the other songs, "Such a Wicked Love" was pretty good. You blew. You're gonna get rock. I wouldn't have came out with that first. It felt kind of gimmicky, but you know, it did its thing. You know, it sold really good in Japan. That's that's a lot of yen. You know. So, <laughs> you know but um, but she as a person, she's a sweetheart. It was so crazy. Um, I'll never forget because that was the time she was going through stuff as well with Jack Gordon. Right. I got a phone call at my house. I don't know how they got my number to this day, but it was Catherine Jackson and Joe Jackson. Wow. Boy, they cold called house. you in Brooklyn. Both of them called me in Brooklyn. On the and they got me on the phone and they were saying, Yeah, we just want to know what what's your address, you know. It was this guy, Jack Gordon, you know, he kidnapped our daughter and was brainwashing her. I said, oh, oh, really? Well, yeah, we're working with her. She's not here with us in Brooklyn, but we're working with her in Manhattan studio. But I didn't give them the address because I didn't know what the hell was going on. But they kept saying that he's a brainwasher. He's no good. And, you know, we don't know where our daughter's at. And blah, 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 blah. It's crazy. And I, I remember after talking to him, I said, yeah, but but she's safe and sound. We we see at the studio. And um, I remember telling Jack Gordon and Latoya, I said, yo, your parents just called my house. I didn't know I got my number. And Latoya's like, hmm, see, 
What are they trying to do? They're so they won't mind their own, they won't mind their own business. And then Jack Gordon says, Yeah, they're they're, they're, ter- they're terrible people. They're terrible people. Oh, you know, they, that's what Jack Gordon would say. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah, care yeah. for him. Yeah, this to put in perspective, like this is I think she also this is when the, the, Playboy. the Playboy. Yeah, I remember yeah, the Playboy. The, the, the Playboy issue is in sort of conjunction with the release of the album. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh God. Okay. Where do we want to go? Do we want to go to the movies yet, or do we want to well, go? We to got, the... Yeah, we got to get movies. For oh, yeah, we got to talk we... house party. Yeah, we got to yeah. talk house party. Come on, we got to. Okay. Um, yeah. So, can you talk about your? Do remember that you time know... you wanted a two-part episode? <laughs> this <laughs> this <is> what? <laughs> <laughs> nah, this, this is, is it. This is a two-parter. This is it. <laughs> yeah. So, so can you talk about um, how you guys got involved with house party, and how it changed your career? Yeah, I mean, we're celebrating 30th year anniversary of House Party, you know, and um, it was is is it's great. I always I always say it's the story of my life. Every time somebody wants me to say what I said in the movie, or sometimes I don't even wait for people to ask me. I just do it because I know they want me to say it. So um, so how I'm, annoying was it? How annoying was it at the time where like people would expect you? Come like, on, that was almost like that was almost like your version of I'm Rick James, bitch. Like yeah. You. Or his she, right, right, it. exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, well, it was never. Well, you know what? It was never annoying to me at all because I created it. So, I it was, it was, it was all good. I remember the only person that never liked it was Donnie Simpson. I never forget him calling me up. Yo, man, why you had to do that stupid, annoying, irritating voice throughout the whole damn movie? Why? <laughs> why? He hated it literally. But we got, but we got the movie because. Um, Reggie Hudlin, who was the writer and director of House Party, and his brother Warrington Hudlin, the producer of House Party, Reggie literally wrote us as a description in the original, in his original script, as a description. Robert Ford Jr., may he rest in peace, because he was part of the production team that used to do the Curtis Blow albums that we was a part of. Um, he was good friends with Reggie, and he was with Reggie, and he read the script, and he said, Reggie, I'm reading your script. And you're describing, and it described it because at the time it wasn't Kid and Play. I think it was Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. The Jazzy Jeff and right. Fresh Prince, yeah. First, and then um, Kid and Play. So the script just said the two individuals, whatever the name was, said in the script it says, "Well, the two individuals is accosted by bullies with great physiques and droopy Jerry curls. Somebody like Full Force." That was written <laughs> in the script. Wow. That was written in the script. As a description. So Robert Ford says to Reggie, Reggie, why don't you just get full force? And they said, yeah, you think they could act? act? He said, well, they did Crush Groove. Ah, that wasn't really acting. You know, yeah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and they said, I said, get full force. So Reggie Hudlin called up my brother, Paul. And he told Paul, he said, listen, man, we would love if you guys could come and maybe read for a part, I'm doing a new movie, house party, you know, if you and your brothers could come, blah, 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 blah. So the three of us went there. They just wanted to see if we had any chemistry. And of course, me and my brothers had chemistry since we were young anyway. And I remember we we did some improv. They just wanted us to do some improv. Yes, we, improv. We did, yeah, we did some improv amongst ourselves and we got the part right then and there, you know? So we was hired to do house party. Um, we did the table read 
with everybody, you know, Martin Lawrence, the late Robin Harris, the late John Witherspoon, George Clinton was there. It was crazy, mm-hmm. Tisha Campbell. And we're reading from the script. Now, as we're reading our lines, my brother's lines, our lines is nothing like what you saw in the movie, like not close. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the hotel with my brothers and I said, guys, I don't, I mean, we're bullies, but we're bullies with, with, with no personality. Somewhat like how you guys were in Crush Groove. I don't want to do that again. <laughs> so, so, so I changed one of the scenes. I said, okay, B, because B's name in the script was Pee Wee. That was my brother B5. I said, I'll switch. Let me be Pee Wee. I'm smaller than you and Paul. Let's change up this scene right here. I think it was the lunchroom scene, one of the scenes. But I changed it up. I came up with, and I'm going to talk like this throughout the whole movie. And my brother B is like, why the fuck are you going to talk like that? I said, I'm just going to talk like that. You know, sort of a, and this is before Urkel and all of that stuff. But my reasoning for talking like that, and then I said I wanted to come up with like a some type of catchphrase. And that's when I came up with, I'm going to kick your freaking ass. Kick your fucking ass. And I said it like that. And then I also came up with the catchphrase, I smell, I smell, I smell. So those two I came up with. And what happened is that um, we went to our trailer and we went to perform it in front of Reggie and Warrington, hoping they would do it. I said, listen, if they don't, they, if they don't want it, then we'll go back to the regular way in the script. But if they like it, then it's good. After they saw us do all of those antics and the, the voice change and the kick your fucking ass and dice moment and all of that, Warrington Hudlin pointed and said, keep it. And when they said, keep it, mm. we changed We changed every scene lines that was in that movie. So everything you see on in the house party is created by me and my brothers. You know, our so part. Dope, and then everybody else in the cast started making up stuff too. I remember kids saying, they started finding out, man, y'all making up all that shit. And then kids said, yo, Lou, how about if we did something like this? You come to the door and you say, I smell pussy. And then we go, yeah, we would smell pussy to a bunch of dicks. Bunch of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's funny, man. Kid, do that. I think Reggie will like that. In fact, don't tell us first. Let's just do it. And we did it. Reggie loved it, you know? And even Tisha and AJ, there was no dance battle in that script, oh. you know? The AJ wow. did the choreography for her and Tisha. They kind of came up with that whole idea of a dance battle. And they did it for Reggie and Warrington. Because after we was making up our shit, then everybody else was making up shit. Yeah. The, only one, the only one that didn't have to stick to the script or nothing like that was Robin Harris. He just did his thing. Everything oh on God. Yeah. And, yeah. and we did that. And we never knew that it would become the classic that it that it has become. Because it still plays good today when mm-hmm. you watch it, you know? And... um. It was just amazing. And not only that, but also to have our song, Ain't My Type of Hype, mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. the main song. It's because of House Party, Ain't My Type of Hype is our most popular, you know, full force song ever, you know? It be- it's it went still a gold. party starter. It's yeah, still a it party went gold. It went gold because of House Party. Wow. And, um, Can and, I ask and- a question about that song? Mm-hmm. Do you guys use the same consistent engineer for all of your albums up to this point? We're using the same engineer? Well, one in, well, we used three different engineers. Questlove did all the UTFO stuff. Glenn, Glenn Rosenstein did the first Lisa Lisa album, and then Tony Maserati. Did oh shit! Every, oh wow. yeah, he did. Yeah. He did everything after that. And here's the thing: 
Tony Maserati was an assistant engineer at Sigma Sound Studios in New York City. He was an assistant. He was an assistant for Glenn. Well, we love Tony. We love Tony. So Glenn decides that he's going to go on vacation, even though we had sessions to do. And he felt that when he went on vacation, we was going to stop shit. But we said, you know what? Let's try Tony. You know, Tony's just an assistant. So we went to Sigma. I said, Tony, like you do some stuff with us. The first thing Tony did with us was um was James fucking Brown. And let me tell you something, Mr. Brown, my bad. But that was mm-hmm. the first thing he did with us because we was doing that. Glenn thought we would wait for him. We inserted Tony. Even the manager of Sigma Sound said, listen, we can give you guys a head engineer because Tony's just an assistant. But we had confidence in Tony. And we still keep in contact with Tony. He was talk- we were talking on the text thread like just a couple of weeks ago. He's had his new baby baby boy and everything. And we inserted him as the head engineer. And we never looked back. We used Tony for everything. Ain't my type of hype. That's Tony. James Brown. And I'll never forget when we were in the studio with Mr. Brown. But, you know, we said, we said, I was there with Mr. Brown. And I said, all right, play, play that vocal back. Tony that Mr. Brown just did. And Tony's like, um, I I, I just I, I just raced it. I raced it by accident. Oh shit. And, then Mr. Oh. And, and, and and I said, what? And then Mr. Brown like stopped everything. So Mr. Brown said, uh, what's your name? And he <laughs> said, uh, my name is Tony Maserati. Uh, yeah, but where, where are you from? I, I, I'm from Boston, sir. No, 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 no. Where are you from? I'm from Boston. No, no. Where are you from? <laughs> and Tony said his hands was all sweaty and he was nervous. And Mr. Brown just kept asking, where are you from? So from that whole session, I said, oh, Tony, we're going to do this vocal again. And we just had Mr. Brown side, we did the vocal again. But all throughout that session, Mr. Brown kept saying to Tony Maserati, where are you from? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know Tony first, and you go up to Tony, Tony go, I know. hey, Tony. Where you from? He'll know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, but God. Um, Tony Maserati, he's a great, he went on, I mean, forget it. Tony's been yeah, doing Yeah, he did Crazy in Love. He did oh, yeah. all the, the puff stuff. And- everybody, and he's still doing it. So we're so proud of him. But that was the guy. And we used to, he used to do the editing with the razor blade and, mm. and cutting the tapes. I'm cutting like, the two-inch tape, it. yeah. Oh yeah, he, used to, he was a master at that too. I'm like, man, how could people do that and and the, the, the edit be good? But Tony was so dope at it, you know. But times I, have changed, haven't they? Yeah. I was, yeah, I was asking yeah. because sonically, like between even now, like when I spin Alice or any any of your any uh, full four songs, just the 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 son. There's a sonic difference in "Ain't My Type of Hype." That's way different than your other records. And I always wanted to know if you used someone different that you weren't using between 85, 86, like earlier Full Force. And, oh, damn. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gave Tony <laughs> his, his start. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we did. And he and he he always gives us props, you know. Yeah, we gave him a start. Did you, did you ever have, because of the door that you opened with comedic acting for House Party, did, did it ever cross your mind that you could possibly be the black male blank, if you will, <laughs> doing uh on the voiceover tip? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I do all kind of crazy voices, and you know, I do a lot of imitation voices. I, I but I never pursued it. I remember Dawn Lewis, actress Dawn Lewis, a good friend of mine. She's 
she's a master at voice characterization. She can mm-hmm. sound like a Jewish old man and she's crazy. She always told me that I should get into that, but I just never did. But if I did, I know I'd be dope at it. You know, got a million voices. I was about to ask you how many characters, because sometimes when we've talked, I, I get I get a whole female that is not even overdone, just literally some chick that I just don't know. Yes, ma'am. So how many characters are in your head that you have kind of got Are you together? asking him if he's schizophrenic? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, no, because I know he has characters. I feel like this woman, whoever this woman is that calls me sometimes, she's somebody. She has a name. That calls you? It's a woman that calls me sometimes. And yeah. If she thinks it's you calling as a character... I think I've disguised my voice on you before, though. You have. You yeah. Have. It's a woman, Amir. It is a woman. It is a, it might be a white woman. I'm trying to tell you that <laughs> the light whatever. Woman. She definitely likes him. So you guys are practical jokers, I assume. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big prankster. I'm a, such a big kid. Even to this day, I, um, I got exploding pens. I got, like, like when we work with Rihanna, um, and she, Rihanna was 17 going on 18 at the time. And I remember coming out into the studio with an apron. It said mucho. And I'm like, yeah, I got a new, a new vegetarian restaurant, you know, and we have, um, you know, uh, vegetarian sausages and everything like that. And she's like, oh, really? Yeah. And, and then I lift up the apron and there's like, you know, a, a, a dildo hanging behind there. There's a joke and she's laughing oh, and she's God. cracking the hell up. Oh, 2021, you miss it out. And and then I got stickers, crazy stickers. I'm so immature. The stickers, I remember putting a sticker on Eddie Murphy's back that said, stand back, I just farted. And um, (laughs) Bowlegged Lou is my hero. Bowlegged Lou for president. And on everybody's back, Russell Simmons. It's just ridiculous. And Gerald LeVert, may he rest in peace. He said, yo, don't touch me. Don't even hug me. Don't even hug me. You know? But then he came back he and he did Gerald LeVert stickers himself. It's so funny. So I'm a big kid for sure. Prankster. You ain't answering yes. my question. How many characters you got? Man, I got a, a bunch of different voices, man. You know? A, a fake girl's voice and, you know, the, the cartoon voice. And I, I did this movie called Who's the Man? And I was talking like yep. this. Mm-hmm. Like yes. this my complaint. Motherfucker, please. Motherfucker, please. You know, talking yes. like that. <laughs> you know, so, all that crazy. I used to try to do like impressions. I don't know if you remember the late, great comedian. He used to be on Hollywood. Spins. I used to try to do Paul Lynn. Oh, Paul Lynn. You know, crazy Paul shit. Paul like, Lynn. <laughs> Did I just reveal my age, Laia? No, no, no. I, I just forgot he was in a square. That's all right. Yeah. Lou, you were in, weren't you in Death by Temptation as well? Were you, were you, was that you in Death by Temptation? Oh, my like, God. I wasn't Oh, you were that. singing. What movie? You was in some of who, you were in. You who's were singing. The yeah, yeah. Who's the man? I sang in that. I sang in the church. In the church. When, okay, that was Who's the Man. I'm tripping. I was thinking. Nick the yeah. Barber got killed. I sang Precious Lord. Oh, Precious yeah. Lord. And it was supposed to be Mary J. Blige doing it, but she wasn't going to. She didn't. She wasn't going to do it for some reason. And I remember um, the late great uh, Bernie Mac and Bill Bellamy coming into my trailer, and they said, "Yo, do man, Mary J. Blige is not going to sing it, man. I think it'd be dope if you sang it in the church. I mean, even though you're acting the character forty, and they wouldn't be expecting it. And that's how I got to sing um, Precious Lord. You know, for the next day, I went in the studio, knocked it out, and yeah. sang it there." I always wanted to ask you, Lou, um, what was the significance of your braid, man? Yes. I always like the, yeah, what's the significance of that? Well, here's the deal. 
it's no fucking significant whatsoever. And, 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 and I don't, and I gotta, listen, I gotta cut this shit off sometimes. My daughter was born and she just know me always wearing this damn braid. Is that She's your hair in there? Is that your hair? It is my hair. Cause when that's a bee. That's a whole. Yeah. And when we had Jerry curls, I would, we'd have like a little braid and I put the bead through here and I've had it since, since we first came out as full force. Yes. You have and I mean, yeah. that's I mean, a trademark, man. That's yeah. a superpower. I mean, Always shit in the movie. And I remember when Wendy Williams, when Wendy Williams used to see me, he's like, you know, when are you gonna cut that shit off? That shit is so 80s, man. When you gonna when you gonna be done with that shit? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, one day I'm gonna cut it off. I thought you and had a remember, name for it. I really did. I don't know I why, like, I don't know why I keep hanging. I remember Anthony Anderson. One time I presented him with the award somewhere and he says, yo, man, I love this brother. But has anybody ever wondered why the hell he wear this damn bead? And what's, really, <laughs> what's what's going on with that? And then, you know, I showed the bead and he goes, oh, you got a nappy patch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> crazy. So what the world isn't now. Actually, it's hit me right now. Obviously. Lou, that is your voice at the very end of Leader of the Pack. Yeah, that's me. You know what's weird? DJs would buy not even doubles, but quadruples of that particular 12-inch. You want to know why? Right when Philly, because everything that Jazzy Jeff would do, everybody would follow in suit. Also, DJ Cash Money. But Jazzy Jeff developed uh, like a bird chirping scratch. And cats would buy the leader of the pack, uh, UTFO 12-inch, just for whatever that beat is right before you say, Wow. Ah, I'm sorry. But that one, like Philadelphia just has a very different relationship with that 12-inch, only because that was the perfect sound to start doing the, the chirping bird scratch. You know, at the time when Jeff was uh, innovating, like the Transformer scratch and all these different types. Transformer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but the chirping scratch... That was the record that you would have to play just for that one before you start doing your your female operator voice. I'm so, sorry. Right, yes. exactly, exactly. All right, we got to get into the wow. At Street? the time, at the time, I was living when when the Roots uh, lived in London. That's you know a lot of people don't know that both Backstreet Boys, like basically what I call the the Disney Orlando. Set up Britney, Backstreet, anybody associated with Disney that during that time period, they all kind of got their traction in Europe first before TRL really started playing them regularly. So how did how did you guys even wind up being the producers of a lot of these acts that wound up selling dot diamond like Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, and Britney, all these acts. How, how did you guys wind up doing that? Well, what happens is that I had a meeting with Barry Weiss, who was um, the president of Jive Records at the time. And mm-hmm. and it, and remember, there's six people in full force, and we split things six ways. I mean, not everybody wanted it that way, but the majority ruled. I was my idea for that. But then after a while, you know, it's like, damn, we need to... We've been doing a lot of R&B and we did Samantha Fox, of course, but 
I mean, man, I think if we, if we, I went to Barry, I said, yo, Barry, man, you got some white people that we could produce, you know what I mean? Because we know it might go a long way, the way Jock Records was handling stuff, it got, might go a long way to add to our, you know, situation with doing a lot of R&B and stuff. So he said, hey, you know what? We got these young guys, they're, they're huge overseas. They're not known yet in the United States, but they might be good for you to work with. And um, he showed me this video called Quit Playing Games With My Heart by the mm, Backstreet Boys. Yes, that was the jam. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Yeah. And um, I took that video back to the guys. <laughs> I played it I played it in, in, in the studio. And I said, guys, we got to get on this project. You know, they're not known in the United States, but they're big, big, huge overseas. And um, and I'll never forget it. After they, they we saw the video again, Baby Jerry just came up to me and he said, Yo, Lou, man, I got a song that I've been toying around with. And then Jerry started singing me the hook. But my love is all I have to give. Without you, I don't think I can live. And and I looked at Jerry. I kissed him on the cheek. He's my cousin. And I said, Jerry, that is a fucking smash. And man... I took that song in to Jive Records and they went crazy for it. Mm. So much show, so much so that said, we're going to fly you guys out to Orlando. You're going to record that song with the Backstreet Boys. This is incredible. And um, that was the start, actually, of us doing, you know, the boy bands and Britney and Justin Timberlake and LFO. Um, some of those people's passed away, but may they rest in peace. Wow. And I'll, never, I'll never forget flying out to Orlando. And there we was with the Backstreet Boys. Now, we was instructed to have the youngest member, Nick Carter, sing the lead of the whole thing. I was going to ask, how did how he wind up singing? And I'm ashamed that I know that. But yes, I'm a music ed. (laughs) How did Howie wind up singing that joint? Because that's like getting Tito or Marlon to sing. Oh, when it's like, wow. oh, oh, I'm sorry. You ain't wrong, but you know, oh. Well, okay. If you're seeing the Jacksons, I think you would expect you would expect Michael. No, 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 no disrespect. Because yeah. I, I know those guys. I'm just saying that if you have the Jacksons, you're expecting Michael, maybe Jermaine, to sing. And Howie wasn't the go-to singer. So how did that happen? Wow, that's crazy, Quest. Well, the thing about it is this. When they told us they wanted Nick Carter to sing the whole song, I already had in my mind that I was going to, they was going to supervise me in, in Orlando. So I arranged with the vocals who would sing what and where. I said, okay, they're talking about Nick because all the women love Nick. The girls love Nick. Like uh, Clive Calder, who owned Jive Records, he was like, have Nick do it because Nick, Nick is all the women love Nick. The girls mm. just go crazy. Not the sisters. Nick. Not so the sisters. Let Nick do the, the song, let him do the whole song. I said, okay, no problem, we'll let Nick do the whole song. But what we what I ended up doing, I said, okay, listen, in my mind, I'm saying I want Nick to open up just to satisfy the company. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I saw Brian Latrell sang as well. Right. I knew AJ was dope. AJ was like the soul, soul guy singing. But I noticed Nick never, I noticed how he never sung anything. And because of my love for The Temptations, that was my inspiration to have them sing it in parts, even though the record company didn't want it. And I said, I said to Brian, I said, Brian, so Howie, I know he doesn't sing anything. He doesn't lead sing. He's, oh, no, 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 he's just background. He doesn't do any lead singing. He's just a background guy. He just does background. I said, he got the high voice, but just background, just background. That's it. 
I said, okay. Then I pulled Howie to the side. I said, yo, Howie, I noticed you don't sing any leads. Is there a reason why you don't sing leads in any of the songs? I don't know. I don't know why. I said, no, you get I said, sing something for me. And he sang a little something for me. And I just wanted him to do a lead vocal, which was the first lead vocal he ever had in his life with the Backstreet mm-hmm. Boys. And I gave, I said, well, listen, you're going to open up the second verse of it. And I'll never forget when we was recording Howie, AJ came in there and is like, whoa, Howie. And he hear Howie doing the lead. And then he said, wow, Howie, you got a personality now. Huh. And it just made me feel good to have Howie just sing a part yeah. of the song. And and if you look at that video and you hear the song, all of them have parts. Now, Kevin, he does the bass, and I will sing it to you. He does on the album version where they do the, the tongue twister harmony parts that my brother Paul made up. And um, that's how Howie got to sing that. And I'll never forget, Howie was so indebted to me. Still to this day, he gives me props. And he brought me to his house for dinner. After dinner, I said, hey, Howie, I said this in front of his parents. And, and everybody I said, am I the first black guy ever to eat here? He said, said, yeah, yeah, you are. And then years later after that, when I went to his wedding, I got up and I sang for him and his bride at the wedding. And then I did a poem and I said, yeah, you know what? I'll never forget when I got Howie to do his part and I went to dinner and I said, am I the only, and I, and I, I was the only black guy ever to come to his house. And I was like, look around. I'm the only black person here at this wedding. So how is keeping it? Keeping it going? He's consistent. No, 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 no. But, it was, but it was, um, that's not how he got to sing in there, you know. And I love how he's a good, good guy with a good heart. And um, you know, they let him sing other songs after that. Hey, when when you guys get your clients, for instance, when when Jimmy Jam did the show, um, they spent about two weeks with Janet Jackson before they even stepped in the studio, which you know. 14 days is a long time when you're on a budget to just be hanging with someone. How long do you have to have personal time with your client before you decide this, this, this is a song I have for you? Or were you guys just making, I mean, you know, now we have like beat tape makers. All right, let me hear your beat tape and I'll decide what I want. Are you guys crafting these songs after you meet them or do you have them ahead of time? Yeah, we kind of craft them actually before we meet them, kind of. And then then afterwards, we would do some songs. Like when we worked um, with Jasmine Guy, who, who I love. She's a sweetheart still. When we worked with her, I remember we did a song called Johnny Come Lately for the album, which we crafted for her. But then during the album process, then we came up with, you know, her, her big hit, which was Try Me. And we, we came up with that for her, specifically for her after meeting her and, and, and vibing with her. So sometimes it's different. You know, the Weather Girls, we knew their history and uh, we did three songs with them and uh, we just did it to fit their vocals like Martha, Martha Wash and Isora mm-hmm. Armstead, may she rest in peace, you know. Um, and that's how we would do it with the different artists, the different people. I remember I remember I, I wrote a song called um, um, Love, Love, uh, what is it? Love My Weight in lo- Low, Love My Weight mm-hmm. in Love or something like that. Um, but it was a positive song. And I remember Martha's like, nah, I'm not doing that. No, we already did this Rainy Man and Two Tons of Fun. And no, I'm not going to do that song. But then when she heard it out, she said, okay, I'll do it. But it was a positive, upbeat song. But we don't. I don't think we ever spent like two weeks. I remember when we was in, with Britney, we was in there 
for about a good while, just honing her vocals and everything. So much so that one of her earliest recordings we did with her is called Love the Hurt Away. Yeah. You could you could you could go right to um YouTube uh-huh. and hear it. It's definitely the best ever Britney vocals you'll ever want to hear, like ever, compared to all the stuff she did afterward. Because I know I always give my brother Paul props. He's like one of the best vocal producers I've ever seen. How he could transform somebody's vocals and just have them doing their thing, you know? And he's like such a stickler for the background, just like my father was. You know, when we worked with Patti LaBelle, I remember Patti LaBelle hit an off note and Paul stopped it. And Paul said, yeah, Patti, you just, there's an off note right there. So we got to fix that. And we're like, oh shit, just told Patti. Did you just tell it? Right. Patti LaBelle, <laughs> right. What the hell? And he said, and she goes, no, that was off. That was off. He said, no, no, let me play it back. It's just oh. a little on the bend. And she says, what bend? <laughs> and then we played it back. We played it back. And she said, oh, yeah, you're right. Just a little little off. You're right. You're right. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yep. Y'all, all right. Y'all got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> that could have went a whole nother way. Hey, yeah, we what, were lucky. What is the d- division of labor of, of the six of you as far as all right, so say if uh, say if Shashire or Baby Jerry writes a song by themselves, is it already agreed upon that the six of you wrote it, or you know, or do you guys just say, okay, well, you did this one by yourself, so you get one hundred percent of the da 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 da, or you know, how how is it how is it work in the studio? Like, does designated people do the music? Does designated person there for the engineering? Does designated person do the vocals like how do you guys divide the work amongst each other yeah it's a it's a different vibe like samantha fox mostly uh that's like a me and jerry thing sometimes it just be me and jerry in the studio with crazy samantha fox who's who's always beautiful to work with but it'd be me and jerry and then say like if the person writes the song that's who's spearheading the session like b did i wonder if i take you home Kurt would help in with some of the music things um, and B wrote the lyrics, but then, you know, I'd make out some vocal licks like, take me, take me, take me home. And, you know, and uh, thanks to my child, basically just did it by myself. So we kind of give each other our own space. Jerry came up with all I have to give, but um, I arranged who would sing what, but then Paul would vocal produce the vocals and Jerry would help in there also. Jerry, me and Kurt did I'm Real. Kurt presided over the whole track and everything like that. So everybody has their own thing. And it would always still say, written and produced by Full Force. And yes, we split everything, no matter who did what, six ways. So how do you guys, uh, what happens if you're in a situation where it might be territorial? Where if you write a particular song and you hear it a certain way, and then Kurt says, yo, I got an idea for that. Like, do you let people at least audition the idea? And if it does work, you keep it. If it doesn't work. Without a doubt. And how do y'all handle disagreements? That's how we are. So if we disagree on something, the person who wrote the song, then we would just bend to them and just say, all right, all right, no problem. But a lot of times everybody's open to add their own ideas. Even if it's a song that I might wrote and, you know, no, no, that's kind of corny, Lou. No, 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 let's do this. Like I wrote all in my mind for full force, which was a top 10 song for us. And it was a slow song, all in my mind talking a about- A very how mean song. 
Right. <laughs> that was one of the meanest. Because women yo, love better than you. The view was right. I was like, yo, y'all mean. Y'all mean. The petty. The petty. Yo. Y'all, y'all are the most, yes, the pettiest. Even lovers for suckers. Right. <laughs> Took right. homeboy out. Because <laughs> women, you know, women dog us all the time in songs. So we got to show that women could break our hearts too, you know? So all of my mind. You know, yeah. lovers for suckers is another one. I'm unfaithful. I can be the same. Oh, that was yeah. my shit. Yes. Yeah. We do. We would go right back at that. But we all hear each other's ideas, man, and we always just like let it out. There's never no big arguments, and if there's disagreements, we'd all come to an agreement, and we just let everybody, you know, just do their thing. You know what I mean? So that's how we. That's how we work. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn. Alliances will shift. And danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I was going to say, when you guys were working with Samantha Fox, mm. yeah, at the time, you already know where I'm going with it, so... <laughs> Go ahead. No, well, you know, there was a a, a a notable thespian, also with the name of Samantha Fox. And okay. I think there, there was definitely a group of people that thought that right. you guys were producing for the porn actress of the name Samantha Fox. They did. You're right. You definitely I right. did not. Wow. I missed that. But Me you too. Now, yeah. Me too. And then I yeah, want to have fi- some... Oh. Right. I... Well, the thing was, is that all Samantha Fox's songs, you know, Touch Me, I Want to Feel Your Body, Naughty Girls Need Love Too, we naturally thought that, oh, she retired from the porn world, and now she's singing. She's just singing about it. Right. (laughs) That would have been cute. Only only to find out that, you know, there there was an actual, another Samantha Fox, and this one was not that person. But But the the real Samantha Fox, the, the singer Samantha Fox, she was in England called the Page Six Girl. 
on, on some magazine. It wasn't a porno magazine, but it was a magazine where it would show her her top, not naked, but her her breast as a page six girl. For Samantha, she was Park. the yeah, she was the precursor to Kim Kardashian, like. Not exactly yeah. socialite. I mean, well, that would have been Pia Sidora, but oh wow, kinda, I haven't heard that name in forever. Kind of, yeah. Well, did it, Terry, it, Terry and Jimmy did an album with Pia Sidora, didn't they? Chiching, yes, they did. <laughs> That's right. I got the cassette. I remember they. I remember one of their. I'm like, oh man, I'm squealing on her. But one of their workers sent me the cassette. I'm like, wow, they did this on Pia Sidora, and I know it was a money grab, but it was still it was still interesting. It was still good production. I might be wrong, but didn't you guys work with Selena? Yes, yes, we did. May she rest in peace. Uh, we were the last American. We were the last American producers to work with her because um, that album. I'll never forget. I was at um, Electra Records, which oh, no EMI Records. My bad, EMI Records, and I just was talking to Nancy Brennan, who was an A and R executive there, and I saw overhead a TV and it was a video. And Selena was on this video singing and dancing, and she's singing in Spanish. And I was saying, yo, who's that? And she said, oh, oh, that's our Tijano artist. Her name is Selena, you know? Mm. I'm like, man, she's fine. And man, look how she's performing. And, you know, I've never seen her or heard of her before. And then I told, I said, yo, is there a way we could produce something on her? I don't care if we even have to produce something in Spanish. Mm. And she says, well, Lou, you know what? We're getting ready to do a half, an all English album with her. We're getting ready to do an all English album. And I'm like, really? I would, we would love to work on that album. And she got in touch with uh, Selena's brother, A.B. Quintanella Jr. And uh, we met with him. And just so happened, he was a big fan of Full Force. And just so happened, before Selena made it big, Selena used to perform Samantha Fox songs. You know, I Want to Have Some Fun, What wow. He Goes Me Up To in her shows. And um, that's how we got to work with her. And it was so crazy because we would do it. We would did a version. We did a song, Missing My Baby, with Selena. And when she had to come in to, to do the background vocals, like the next day, she had to come back to New York to do it. Um, that's when I, I got a phone call from my mom. And like nobody heard of her back then. We just, people just knew we was producing a girl named Selena. And then that's when she said, are you sitting down? I'm like, sitting down? Why do I got to sitting down for? She says, no, well, Selena, Selena died today. She got killed. I'm like, what? Whoa, we, were so, we were so blown away. And because she's such a sweetheart and she's a practical joker herself, but she was so blown away, shocked. I mean, very shocked, stunned. And then you just start seeing on TV. That's when a lot of people start knowing who Selena was because of the, the, the when she passed. And, right. And, and I said, wow, crazy. Well, I knew, I just knew that they were not going to go through with, a, a, with the all English album anymore. I figured they were just going to scrap it. But what they did is they said, after some weeks passed, uh, the father, who was like presiding over the whole project, he called me and he said, Lou, listen, we want you guys to come up and finish and do the background vocals for, for the song Missing My Baby. And you guys finish that off. And um, because we're going to do a half English, half Spanish album. That's how wow. we're going to do it. And gotcha. um, I'll never forget it, man. We flew down there to Corpus Christi, Texas. And it was still hot of her passing because you still see flowers and candles right outside the, the studio. And we went inside the studio, man. 
and her leads was already recorded and it just sounded so eerie hearing her sing through the studio and there we are doing the background vocals we did the music already and there we are singing the background vocals to it and you still hear her singing and then after we finished doing what we did the family came into that room her father her husband at the time they came in that room to hear the song that we did missing my baby remember the title missing my baby right yeah and then there it is playing and you hear the cryings and the sobs we even had tears and then when it was finished her father ab quintanella senior stood up and started applauding for us started clapping and then everybody else followed suit and started clapping for us i'll never forget it and um it became it was on the album the dreaming of you album mm-hmm. um we even produced it and we got I got my wish. We even produced a Spanish song on there called Techno Cumbia. And um the song was a huge blockbuster, you know, and uh, another piece of platinum on our wall. But her legacy was incredible. I didn't know so much of her legacy until we was working with her, you know. But um it was a great wow. experience. She was a great person too, you know. Lou, I always wanted to know, um, were there any close calls in your career as far as artists you almost work with but from one way or another like it never got to work out like you were supposed to produce blah blah blah's record and something happened or yeah you know we were supposed to do Gladys Knight and the Pips this is when he she did um Save the Overtime for me in 83 um, yeah oh, Save the Overtime for me was it Save the Overtime for me that was in 83 83 are you thinking Love Overboard in 89? Love Overboard. That Love was overboard. 80. Yeah. Love, Love Overboard. That's right. Okay. Love Overboard. Mm-hmm. We spoke to, With the Callaway Brothers. We even spoke to uh, Bubba, Bubba Knight and everything like that. But for whatever reason, you know, uh, you know, Steve Salem was working with our deals. It just didn't happen. But then we were so close to that one. You know, that would have been fantastic. You know, right. we even, you know, and then our ego kind of got in the way when, even though we worked with the InSync, we did like three songs in their albums, the, the only Diamond album, which we're part of, which is proud of. Um, we were supposed to do this song and our ego got in the way. We wrote this dope song, but they wanted, and we wrote it 100%, but uh, the record company felt to let Max Martin, because Max Martin was having mm-hmm. magic you know, right. doing the damn thing. They said, listen, guys, we want to do that song that you guys wrote 100%, but we just want Max to produce it. And our fucking ego got in the way. No, no, we don't produce it like we produced the others. Don't tell us what to do. Right. <laughs> and they said, ah, okay, okay, fuck it. Fuck that. Then we just want to. <laughs> and ah. to do it. But for that particular song, they didn't want to. It was a perfect pop song. So our ego got in the way of that. And I remember, even though she didn't blow up yet, but I just loved Shanisa. She was like 14 years oh, old. Oh, yeah. And we 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 got a chance to work with her later, but at that time, I remember getting we was getting the contract faxed to us back and forth. We're going back and forth. Oh, you almost did the first record that Brian Loren did? Yeah, we was part, Damn. We was part, part of that. Wow. Yeah, ask her. Is and, that smile? Bruce, Bruce, Bruce no, Dern no, the one before. Her. Nah, that was the, the one before. The that. Can You yeah. Dance, John? Yeah, Bruce Dern was her manager at the time. Yeah, and I was just in love with Shawnee's voice, even that at such a young age. But yeah. That 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 never uh, came through as well, and and we almost had a chance to produce my my favorite group in the world, The Temptations, but 
that didn't come through as well. There's a lot of shit that didn't come through. I'm like, oh man. But um wow. story of our lives, you know. Hey Luke, can can you just I'm sorry, can you remind people real quick? Because I remember when the whole story came out about you guys producing NSYNC, I was more team NSYNC. I just started telling people that y'all did the whole album. But can you <laughs> can you remind people the three the three songs on that diamond record and, and the well, brand- we, what we did, we did I Just Wanna Be With You, which is a song that um they released. It wasn't released in the state. It was on the album. It wasn't released in the States, but it was released overseas and it was like a top ten joint. And that was like one of their favorite songs. They performed it on, on every concert that they did. Then we did a, a remake called Everything I Own, which was which was originally done by, I want to say, was it Yes or not Yes? It was done by another pop group, but we did a remake of it, Everything I Own. That was like the, one of the first times we actually saw the vocal wizardry of um, Justin Timberlake. It's incredible. I was like, man, okay, Justin, you know, we want you to double your voice and do the same kind of thing, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. He was just, he was just incredible. Poor, just incredible. poor JC Shazay. I just got to say it. Poor and JC, listen, JC was dope too, but Justin was on just some other level. And you want to know something? They all, they all love black music. Yeah. But Justin, but Justin Timberlake, that, 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 he used to do like, Imitate Usher dances and everything Usher and everything black. He just let everything black. And, <laughs> One and, more time, you're say not, it again, you're not, you're not helping his case right now, Lou. Everything. I like the way they black. Everything black. <laughs> no, no, no. He loved. He loved. He loved the black music. She set you up, Lou. Just not the women. Just not the women. But I, I got you. Ah, I told you, Lucy, setting you up. I, saw, I, wasn't, I wasn't. 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 I'm sorry. I had to do that you for the what? ladies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it was. So, it was so. It was so much. So, it was so much so that they did a story of us for Vibe magazine, and Baby Jerry did a quote in Vibe magazine, and he said, "Yeah, man, you walk into there and you see in sync, and you see this kid Justin Timberlake, and he's just there singing Brian McKnight songs, and he's doing like Usher dancing to doing Usher dances." And then I mean, he's just incredible. And 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 Justin was so excited about that. And when we came back to work, we went, where's Jerry? Where's Jerry? Where's Jerry? Oh, Jerry, man, thanks for saying that, man. Oh, thanks for saying that. Wow, in Vibe Magazine. And their picture was in Vibe Magazine. It's so exactly boys in Britain because they're talking about us doing these pop-backs. But he Listen. just loved being revered by Black folk. Listen. Do you remember Quest? I on fell the, for that, so I'm not. I have nothing uh, to say. Uh, she's, she's, remember the Soul Train Awards when he won Best yeah. R&B Male? Yeah, I was remember. Was that with the when he had, that, did he wear cornrows that night? I can't remember. Mm. He loved it. That was kind of crazy to me, but yeah. And Amir, I'm not being I'm not being funny, Amir. I felt for like I felt when I heard Gone for the first time, I was He's the one at my black no, radio station in Philadelphia that was like, He's let's dope. just play this record and not say who's singing the song. Like, so I fell for it. I'm just All saying. Right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I think Bread is the group that did everything I own. Uh yes. Lou. Yes, indeed. Wait, but wait, you mentioned 1983. All right, and we're gonna wrap this up soon, but it just hit me. Maybe. There's there's one question. I, I there's one factoid about your career I didn't know. I didn't know that you guys had worked with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Mm. Can I ask if this was the Curtis Blow connection to Bob Dylan? Or Yes. That? Wait, what's that? There's a Curtis how you, Blow. How did you know? Did you read about did I, I I'm you. you. No, no, I put two and two together. 
And all right, well, one when Salam Remy was 14 years old, he had talked Curtis Blow into doing a cover of Magilla Gorilla. Why? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, also on also on that record, I had the America album, so I do know that Bob Dylan had sung on Curtis Blow's America album. And I think, I forget the producer at the time that was also working with Bob Dylan. It might have been, um, was it Bill Laswell? I forget who it was, but it was like someone that had some sort of street cred. It was either Bill Laswell or it could have been Arthur Baker, but like somebody who was not Rick Rubin, but like the white guy that was sort of in hip hop circles. And so I just put two and two together. I'm like, well, you guys work with Curtis Blow. And yeah, it makes sense that that's how it went down. So he chose you guys to sing background on a joint that was on the Infidels record. Exactly. And actually we did two joints, but that one made the one of them made the Infidels album, which is called Death Is Not The End. And how right. that happened was mm. we was working with Curtis Blow at Power Station in New York, and they just heard ours, because we were singing background vocals to the songs we did with Kurt. Right. And they would walk in and out, and they would hear it, and then all of a sudden, one of his assistants uh, came to us and like, hey, when you guys are finished, just want you guys, if you guys could come lay down some background vocals to a to a new artist, that a uh, new artist client will pay you something for it, a new artist client of ours. And we said, yeah, okay. I mean, we weren't known then, but we was down to to do it. This was right before we signed with Columbia Records as Full Force and whatever. And we went to perform with, for this new, went to go in there to see this new artist. And when we walked in there, because remember, our music, we stemmed all the way back from when we were kids, seeing all these artists at the Apollo Theater. I mean, right. like from everybody. Right. So we saw fucking Bob Dylan. We was just so blown. That's hmm. a new artist? Wait a minute, that's... <laughs> That's a new, I, that's Bob that's Bob Dylan, and it's Bob Dylan, man. And he walked over to us. Man, how y'all doing? Y'all doing good? How y'all feel? <laughs> Shaking our head. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. I just would like to hear y'all vo- do y'all vocals on these two songs of mine. Really love that. And we oh, were wow. going, and we just stayed there. And we did uh, background vocals on two Bob Dylan songs, and um, then we was appeared on the album. And because we were known then through the Lisa Lisa and Coach and with Full Force, you know, we saw our name on the sticker with credits, Full Force, and with Bob Dylan. It was mm-hmm. incredible, you know, incredible. All right, so I I was going to ask the last question. Did you guys have anything? No, no, no. I just want to ask one last okay. before you go. I just want to, Lou, have we been keeping you on screens for too long? Because I just realized that, you know, we as we talked... As we're talking about the future, the present tense and whatnot, that you have your own battles with with health and in your eyes. So I was just curious. I was like, "Wait, are you supposed to be looking at screens this long?" Can you? Oh you- no, no. I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I got central vision. It's still good. I'm keeping um being proactive with my eye. I got this disease called retinitis pigmentosa. It leads to blindness, but I'm proactive with the the treatments of it. Like I'm going to do this treatment called the uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy which you get into the chamber and you ain't the michael jackson thing yeah (laughs) but it's good for the eyes because what it does is stalls the progression of any more sight loss like i don't have any peripheral vision anymore but i just got my central vision so you know 
it's 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 all good. So I'm good, man. I'm just I'm happy to be doing this show. Quest, to tell you the truth, man, I and, love it. And this is the last question I want to ask. Um, I wanted okay. to ask about your your dad and what he taught you and your brothers about being men, because I feel like watching you guys, there are no barriers. Y'all have this kind of love that I'm. I can kiss my brother on the cheek. I can, you know, it's just it's no barriers. So I'm curious as to what your father told you. What a man. You is. are your you are your brother's keeper. Yeah, that too. But just too and how they operate as men without barriers as well, like not have you know not the extra extra manly all the time and even though yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. My kind of well, my father father didn't kind of teach us that, but we kind of got that also from our mother. Mm. So my mother and our father kind of kind of did that for us and just to be real with it, because even though we we were macho and we're full force. You know, we still got our emotional side yeah. and realness as well, even yeah. though we're men. You know, the yeah. bottom line is that, yeah, if I want to cry, I could cry and just feel yes. feel the whole uh, love scenario there. So my mother and my father, may he rest in peace, taught us that, you know, taught us not to hold grudges. I, I don't hold grudges at all. And my thing, I'll never forget. I mean, I'm saying this publicly, but I'll never forget my, my father's uh, wife at the time it wasn't my mother it was his his wife before he passed you know we just used to always have some back and forth with her and i'll never forget when we had a run-in and she jumped in my face and said all right well you're going blind you're going blind she said that to me at the nursing wow. home where my father was and i was like well, it's okay and i walked out and she like taunted me she's so stupid but that was okay two weeks later I forgave her. I reached out an olive branch to her and I said, well, listen, I just want, I don't want to hold any grudges because of course we still wanted to know what was happening to my father. So she was the healthcare proxy and everything and controlled all that stuff. So I forgave her. I just don't like to hold grudges for anything. The only time I hold a grudge is if somebody does bodily harm or fatal bodily harm to my family or friends, then I'm holding a fucking grudge. But other than that, I don't like to, I like to, forgive the best way I can. And um, my mother and father taught us that. They taught us, like my mother always says she has three wonderful sons. So even though I'm the primary caregiver for my, my mom, my brothers pitch in as well. We all are caregivers to her. And she, I always like hearing her saying she has three wonderful sons because she has her health challenges now, but we have to be there for her like she was there for us. It's just like my brother Paul. You know, when my brother Paul was fighting for his life, Mm -hmm. uh, with the cancer. I mean, and Paul is like Mr. Invincible, you know, it's like mm -hmm. for him to have cancer, it was like a mind blow. He's eight years cancer free now, but when he was really fighting for his life, we had to have a bone marrow stem cell transplant. I was just a hundred percent match. Thank God. My brother B fine said, man, I thought I was going to be the match because me and him look more alike. I'm sorry, <laughs> B, <laughs> but, but I was his match. He, um, Finance was life. He needed sick. He needed. Paul was always positive, though. No matter what, he was always positive. You can never see a chink in his armor except behind closed doors. I maybe saw it twice. But an outer thing, think positive, be positive. Because if he's not like that, then we don't even get to a transplant. But when he was fighting for his life, and they said he needed six million stem cells, I was the one at home taking nupogen shots, like me injecting myself twice a twice a day for two weeks to harvest my own stem cells to give to my brother. And when I went into the hospital, they said, listen, your brother needs six million stem cells. 
if you don't give them enough, we're going to take a catheter to your chest and try to extract, try to extract more that we could do. Now, here's what can happen. During this procedure, what we're doing now, you could bleed to death, your spleen complete and this and that, and blah, blah, all kinds of stuff. And then he said, would you still like to go through with this? And I said, of course I was my brother, you know, what, who wouldn't? And they said, you'd be surprised, Mr. George. I said, what? I said, do some siblings have done that knowing that they said, yeah, some, they get so scared that, yeah, then they back out. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to back out. So we did the damn thing. And instead of giving Paul 6 million stem cells, I was able to give him 9 million stem cells. Wow. So I became, I became a conduit from God to uh, help save Paul's life. And he's eight years cancer free right now. I just told him, I wish he had some damn stem cells for my fucking eyes. You know, I would <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so I can stem cell return the favor. <laughs> but it's all good though, man. And, and Paul's just doing his thing, you know, even, even before the stem cell transplant, he was at the hospital still working out when he wasn't supposed to doing push-ups and doing stuff. When, he was like, he was like an inspiration well, over there. At the y'all, hospital. Y'all, so y'all, y'all love it. It's beautiful. I, that's why I, I asked I might- yeah, I monitor his progress on his Instagram, and it's, it's beautiful to see him uh, fully recovered. I, I wanted to know, um, even without uh, even without what we're going through in uh, COVID and quarantining, how do you currently stay creative? Like, is music still uh, a first love? to you as it once was or are you just at another place in your life where you're just enjoying life and you know what what is your relationship with not with the music business but just with creativity in general and you know kind of your relationship with music we still love music i mean that's our fiber from the beginning so it's just a different space and time now with how music is now it's like Anybody could buy music now. I mean, Jimmy Jam sent Paul. Hey, Paul, man, check out my new single. He sent them by phone. I mean, look how look how times have changed. And you know, mm-hmm. single. And I feel, and I love, I love Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They're like heroes of ours. I'll never forget when they won their Grammy and they did an interview for um, Billboard magazine. And in it, because of Alice had came out, and they they gave us props by saying, "Yeah, man, right now our favorite group is Full Force." And our favorite song is Alice, I Want You Just For Me. And we're like, man, that's coming from Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam. But the album that they've done and the, like the single with the Babyface that Babyface. they did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it's a good record. So in today's age of music, I mean, you know, it, they don't they don't revere it like how it should be. Because back in our era, that would have been a huge deal. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam doing an album together, that would be a huge deal you know, mm. back then. Now is a day is a whole it's a whole di- it's a whole different series. And I'm not a hater or anything like that, but no, I'm I just saying it. it's just is a different it, is it exhausting it's a different or dismaying to you. Yeah. yeah, different time. Not exhausting, just a little disappointing sometimes with the way how the music scenario is. You know, I know we got the whole TikTok and you can just buy stuff. I've I miss the days. I mean, I I mean call me a dinosaur if you want, but I loved going to the record store. And staying in the record aisles for hours, looking at the album covers and the credits on the back, and buying my Temptations album, and buying my Motortown mm-hmm. review, and buying this and buying that, 
and even the CDs. I I love that, you know. So so our music thing is still good because we're still doing music. We're still producing songs and everything like that and streaming and everything like that. One of the exciting things that we did, at least for me, which was last Christmas, you know, we did our first ever Full Force Christmas song, which we um wow. we, we did it like maybe a month before Christmas. But next time, being that it's the Christmas song, we'll be able to promote it better. But we did a, a rendition of Silent Night, which we actually dedicated because you know the Temptations had yeah, a version. Was, <laughs> they did you had say in my mind? Did you say in my yes. mind first? Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they had, a, they had a, a a classic, legendary version of Silent Night and a classic, legendary album, Christmas album by the Temptations. But this was when Eddie Kendricks was singing lead, and then Melvin Franklin was singing song. Mm. So we did a version of that, and and I gotta pat myself on the back. I gotta I find it. Oh my it's god! The, on YouTube, you see the video. We did the video. Okay. And and it, we did it. We literally dedicated it to Melvin Franklin right in the beginning. I talked. I said we'd like to dedicate the song to Melvin Franklin of Temptations, who did a classic version of Silent Night and made it even a double classic. And we sang, and then we have a friend of ours from the neighborhood, we didn't even know he could sing until like a few years ago, that he sang the Melvin Franklin part. Now he's not Melvin, but we did it justice. And you know when I know we did it justice? Mm. I got a thumbs up from Otis Williams. Otis. When nah, he heard it, he called, he, he called me. And he said, that's beautiful. And I love the way you opened it up by giving introduction to Melvin Franklin. And we dedicated it to Temptations. Listen, we're not stupid. We're not going to do a remake and, you know, oh, leave it alone. Don't compete. It's not comparing. We're just dedicating it to the temptation, giving them homage. Eddie Kendrick's daughter, Ika Kendrick's, listen to it. Call me up. Lou, that was beautiful. So I got her blessing. And then Melvin Franklin's wife, widow, um, Kimberly English, she sent me a long text about it, and she gave me blessings. So I got blessings from Melvin's wife, Eddie's daughter, and Otis Williams. So I knew our job was done with that. Yeah. So that was exciting for me. And you can go look it on YouTube. It's a dope performance. And then I said, hey, while we're, we're at it, let's do another Christmas song. And we also did a version of and it's a funny Christmas song, but it's dope. It's called 12 Day Christmas performed by the house party bullies is flat. <laughs> oh, flat. I'm definitely looking oh, this did, shit up now. Oh, we, right. did a video, we did a video to that, and it's hilarious. I'm Both looking it up immediately. immediately. It's hilarious. <laughs> Lou, uh, I have to say that this oh, definitely lived up to my expectations. This was worth the 10-year or 15-year or 20-year wow. wait that I've been dying to have a real conversation and pick your brain about everything that you've done creatively. Um, just know that every aspect of your career, I followed it. I'm such a fan of you guys and I'm really appreciative of everything that you've contributed. Everything from your skits to your songwriting, to your, your backgrounds, to your drum programming, to every, everything that you guys have done. Um, thank you, man. That's all I can say. And I really appreciate that. Before I go, can I ask you a question? Did you, like when music was changing up and they were taking out the live live feel of stuff, did you ever conform to like, or give in or whatever to like the drum machines and stuff like that or accepted it even on the mental aspect of it? 
you know, I mean, at the time when we came in the game, like we were the odd guy out. Like, all right, you you guys are playing instruments. So, you know, when our when our second well, when our third album, uh, Illadelphia Half Life came out, I felt a pressure to Dope album. Maybe maybe conform and and try to be as normal as possible. But I mean at the end of the day, I just I learned everything about studio technology. So my whole thing was like, okay, well I'm gonna try I'm still drum, but I gotta figure out how to make my drums even sound more palatable to, to hip hop heads so that it doesn't feel as foreign, you know. But um yeah, I've I've learned since then to learn every aspect of the game. Even when I hang up now, I'm about to do something I rarely do. I gotta cut a demo for this project I'm working on now, which none of the roots are here, so I'm gonna try and do everything by myself, which wow. could be mm. re- rather nightmarish. <laughs> I mean, it's too wow. late, but uh, you gotta get rest. Okay, I'm not going. Uh, I, no, I, I, I haven't announced it yet, but I, I guess this episode will come out later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's dope, though. That's the, dope. Os- the Oscars decided me, so I'm, I'm the musical director of the Oscars <laughs> this year. Nice. Word up. Is that loud? Was that really loud? Was that really loud? Was that yes, loud? it was very loud. Well, it should be loud. Like, it, it should be loud. It's the Oscars, and you black. Congratulations, yeah. so, brother! Is, Re- is Reggie? Ass, is Reggie part of the production team on the Oscars this time? Reggie Hudlin? Or not? Uh, it's no. It's 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 Jesse Collins who uh, oh. did BT oh, Awards. Real black Oscars. Mm-hmm. Wow! Well, Jesse see, just did the Super Bowl too. Yeah. Right? So Steven wow. Soderberg, Steven Soderbergh's directing it, and Jesse Collins is producing it. Oh, and wow! I've been, congrats, man. Yeah, you know Jesse's, why I asked you that question with the drumming and the drum machine? Because I'll never forget my brother Beefine, who was doing drums. I remember when we went into the studio, and it was the first time because you know he played live drums and all all cried out and all of that stuff. But then right. when we had he, we had to do a drum machine thing, I'll never forget him sitting in the the booth. And he was so dejected because he couldn't believe that we was doing the first song without any live drums. He just couldn't accept it in the beginning. And then later on, he adapted to the technology that he was programming drums and all that. But he was so crushed at that yeah. whole scenario. I'll never forget that. You know, it's crazy. No, nah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not crushed. I, I find other ways to be creative. And, you know, like it's I, I consider just drumming just one eighth of everything that I, you know, I, I still got to engineer these records. I still have to figure out everything else. So, you know, not at all. I, I'm not discouraged at all. I just, I learn everything. I um, hear you. But, but yo, all. man, I just want to say also, Quince, on top of that, man, thank you, my brother. Thanks for the respect and the love. It's boomeranged right back to you. Um, thank you. I appreciate you being part of our unsung. I'll never forget that as long as I live. My pleasure. I Thank I you for acknowledging my birthday too, bro. Yeah. It, it should be known that you and Pee Wee Herman are the number one acknowledgers of everyone's holiday and birthday. Listen. Both of y'all. Oh, wow. <laughs> he, he came you. out in the snow to the 49th. Yes, he I, did. I, I, he did. And I want to say thank you because your birthday party, your birthday celebration was crazy. It was so creative. And I was like, man, I can't believe this. You know, the whole movie. I think I, I was with the final, the final, what was I doing? No, The Harder They Come. Mm-hmm. That's the movie right. I picked. Mm-hmm. But it was so mm-hmm. creative, that whole thing. Then I got to meet, I'll never forget, this is a crazy story. But I got to meet Karen Parsons, who I just love. <laughs> that is so who, random. Who I just love from the French Prince of Bell and just love, period. And I'll never. 
forget when I met her there, how how I said, wow, Karen, so great to meet you. Because my boy that was with me, you know, he nearly fell off his seat to get to her to take a picture. I took a picture. I said, yeah, listen, I'm because listen, I take myself for granted all the time. So I don't know. I said, listen, I'm bow-legged Lou right from full force. And I take a picture because first of all, I know who you are. Right. But I'm like, I don't I don't take that for granted. So we took a picture and um it was just it was just a, it was just a crazy party. And um I gave you like I'm I'm always giving out plaques just for me. I'm not the Grammys or American. Who does Board, this? I love it. I gave I gave Quest a beautiful plaque from Brother You gave to me brother, a plaque. I still have from, it, yes. From peer to peer. And I told him please don't use it as a as a frisbee. But um <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was from my heart, you know. And um Yo, man, well, thank you so much Quest, thank man, you. for being a friend, man. I'm so proud to call you my friend. I'm so proud of you and all of what you do as well, my brother. Thank you. That I appreciate. Thank you, man. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Quest Love Supreme with our esteemed guest, Bowlegged Blue of Full Force uh, on behalf of Team Supreme. My name is Quest Love, and uh, we will see you on the next program. Thank you. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte. Make sure you keep up with us on Instagram at QLS and let us know what you think and who should be next to sit down with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. All right. Peace. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.